Hey everyone, this is Meg Rowley with International Hub. Thanks for joining us as we kick off our fourth season of podcasts. We're excited to have you join us in your international business learning experience. Today, we are honored to have Scott Lawler all the way from Luxembourg, where he works as Senior Vendor Manager at Amazon. Let's hear about his experience managing teams and working with a variety of countries. So first, Scott, could you give us a little bit of a background about yourself? Yes, absolutely. First, thank you for uh, inviting me. I'm excited to be back on campus and uh, to be speaking about business. So I grew up uh, in Salt Lake City, Utah, and then out of high school, I came to BYU. I played a little on the lacrosse team, had a ton of fun doing that. And then I spent two years uh, on a church mission in California. Came back, focused more on my studies. I ended up graduating in economics, but also spent a fair amount of time in the business school studying finance. And then I ended up getting my MBA at the University of Notre Dame. Personally, uh, I'm married to my wonderful wife, Allie. We have two boys, uh, eight and four. Uh, we absolutely love to travel. It's one of our favorite things to do. My, my two boys have been to 21 countries already, so they love to travel as well. So we've passed pass that on to them. Um, and anything outdoor related, hiking, biking, fly fishing. Uh, and most recently, I picked up uh, soccer, or as my European colleagues uh, call it, football. I'm still pretty bad, but uh, have a, have a lot of fun doing that. Tell me a little bit more about some of your travel experiences. Yeah, so we've lived in Luxembourg for two and a half years, um, and it's really become kind of our uh, leap pad to to the world. And we've been able to travel to Europe, a lot of the European countries, um, and we've also been able to go a little bit farther. Um, so we spent time in Israel, Turkey, Morocco, Egypt. So yeah, really some some special some special places, and it's really taught our family about the world and different cultures. Just a few fun stories that I like to tell. First, a funny one. Um, so we were in Germany late one night visiting some Christmas markets, and we we were all hungry, and so we went to this pizza place. Uh, they didn't speak English. Our German is quite bad. And so my son ordered a pepperoni pizza for dinner. And when it came out, it wasn't pepperonis like we know here in America. It was actually huge peppers across every inch of the, the pizza. So he looked at me in fright. Uh, we all had a good laugh about that. So uh, we ended up picking, up picking the peppers off and enjoying uh, now a cheese pizza. I would say on the more serious side, we, we visited Egypt so Egypt, as, as many know, has gone through some real challenges over the past five or so years after Arab Spring um, and, uh, you know, their economy struggling. So we went to a country or a, a city called Hergada, which is on the Red Sea, um, and visited Luxor and some of, the, some of the neat Egyptian sites that a lot of people know. And when we were there, we got a taxi every day, went into the city, and we met this wonderful taxi driver named Muhammad. We became close friends with him. So the first day, he picked us up and said, hey, do you, do you need a taxi? The next day, we said, sure. And so we ended up going uh, with Muhammad four or five nights in a row. So the third night, he turned around in the, in the cab and said, are you interested in meeting my family um, and coming to my house? And, you know, we, we were in Egypt in the middle of nowhere, and... Uh, we felt a little hesitant about that. We didn't know how safe it would be. And I, I think what I've learned so much about living abroad is we have preconceived notions about people and 
countries and religions. And, you know, often that that is driven by what the media tells us. And so, of course, we felt hesitant, but we were able to build a relationship with him. And so my wife and I just said, sure. And so we ended up going to his parents' house. And just to kind of paint a picture, it was a very rundown apartment. And so we walked in, still a little bit nervous. And right when we walked in, Muhammad told us to basically sit down on the floor. We met his parents. They were wonderful. But Muhammad ran out the door. So we were now like, wait, what's going on? Uh, you know, you, you just wanted your home and you ran out the door. So I didn't know what he was doing, if he's going to get a get whoever. Um, and so he ended up bringing his whole extended family in. So all of a sudden, a whole bunch of kids came running in the door and his sister and his other sister and his brother-in-law. And uh, they're, you know, speaking uh, in Arabic and and basically saying, oh, the Americans have arrived. So they made us, you know, tea and we sat on the floor and uh, they showed us their wedding video and his kids started playing with my kids. And they were telling us about their lives and about the challenges that they've had with the Taliban and how his brothers fought terrorism and how his brother died in the army. And so, man, we walked away from this experience just loving the Egyptian people. It was such a special moment to connect with these people from completely different part of the world but, you know, want the same things that we want, you know, a stable government, good jobs, a safe place for our family. And so we actually still keep in contact with Muhammad, and we've been able to support him in some ways. Uh, his mother's quite sick, and so we've been able to support him. So that that's a really special experience that, that I was able to share with my family. Sounds pretty amazing. It's one thing to visit another country, but really amazing when you can actually like, yeah. connect with the people. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing those cultural experiences with us. So now can you give us a little bit of a description of your career path, where you've been, what you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. So when I was at BYU, I was very lost. Um, my, all my friends seemed to know exactly what they wanted to do, whether it be investment banking and consulting. Um, and I, I frankly didn't. I, I, I didn't know what to do. So like I said, I did economics, um, was interested in finance. And I graduated around 2010, right after the financial crisis. So there weren't a ton of jobs out there. The economy wasn't doing great. So I ended up starting at a local company called Zango. Uh, they have a big international presence. And I, I knew I wanted to work in finance, and I knew I wanted to work in an international environment. So I started as a, a treasury analyst uh, managing the European business. So uh, money movement, foreign exchange policy, working to ensure that we have the right cash in the right places. So that was a fun job. And then I was recruited by Goldman Sachs in their Salt Lake office, working with uh, hedge fund clients. So being both operational support and a customer support to that. I learned a lot at Goldman, a very tough environment. After that, I uh, was recruited by a company called England Logistics, also a local company here in Utah, mainly a, a trucking logistics company, but they had a separate arm where they did accounts receivable factoring. So basically buying receivables from trucking companies and then paying out a, at a discounted rate. So I managed that whole division risk and risk portfolio. So we would analyze the, the risk of each receivable and manage the trucking companies that we work with. So grew really fast, had a big team, both from a, a finance standpoint and operation standpoint. So I learned a lot. That was like a crash course on management. So things were going really well. But I always knew I wanted to get an MBA. I wanted a broader business uh, education, and I knew I wanted more international exposure. So I ended up applying to the University of Notre Dame. I had friends go there and got accepted. So that was a, in Indiana and just a wonderful experience. I loved the culture of Notre Dame and the people were really special. And of course, the sports and the football games were extra fun. 
So out of my MBA, I was recruited by Amazon. So they came on campus, did four interviews in two days, and then uh, I was lucky enough to receive an offer. So I started at Amazon in Seattle as a senior product manager over Prime Now. So Prime Now is an ultra-fast one- and two-hour shipping, um, and it was brand new. So honestly, the best way to describe it is like the Wild West. We were trying to figure out how to continue to meet our customers' promise, which is one and two hours, which is much faster than what we've ever done at Amazon. So I got thrown in there and was part of the, the product team. So I helped define what selection our customers would want in one and two hours. So it was more of a consumable-based model than you know what you traditionally buy on Amazon.com. So I did that for two years um, and really enjoyed it. But that, that desire to do more international was still in me. I hadn't ever worked in country. And so after that two years, I did a lot of networking within the different global companies at Amazon. So I reached out to the London office and the Luxembourg office and Singapore and, you know, any of the more English-speaking countries. Um, And I ended up finding this role in Luxembourg. So when I started in Luxembourg, I was a manager of vendor management for the automotive team. And so, so, yeah, so I've been doing that role now for about two and a half years. So now that you are working internationally, will you explain to us a little bit more of the nature of your business interactions with different yeah, and yeah, countries. absolutely. So the Amazon that uh, you know Americans know and love is is the retail Amazon. It's basically th- three things in our business model: it's selection, convenience, and price. What we try to have is the best selection in the whole world, which means a really broad selection. We always have good prices or sharp prices. And three is convenience. And the way we think about convenience is that we can deliver it to you fast and that whatever products you want, we have in stock. So we're basically taking that playbook from the U.S. and taking it to Europe. So within the automotive team, we're much younger. So the automotive division that I work in has only been around five or six years. So we're building our selection. We're making sure we can deliver fast and that we have the proper prices. So in my role as a senior manager, I interact and my team interacts with vendors across the EU, the U.S. and Asia uh, to sell products in our five Amazon EU websites. So Spain, Italy, France, Germany, and the U.K. My team manages all aspects of the vendor relationship from introducing them to Amazon to contract negotiations and then to account management. So I love it because we get to build a strategy at the start of the year on how we think to grow this business profitably. And then we get to go execute that strategy and we have full P&L responsibility. So you mentioned that you're taking kind of the Amazon structure that they Mm -hmm. have here in the U.S. and taking it there. What is the main differences of working here in the U.S. versus what you do there? So my experience is that Europeans have a more balanced approach to work life. Secondly, working in Luxembourg offers a much more international diversity for such a small country. Luxembourg is a special place. Um, So many people don't know much about Luxembourg. So it's a tiny country that is in between Germany, France, and Belgium. It has about 600,000 people, and half of the people are expats or not from Luxembourg. So that makes for a very international community that you just don't find in too many places. I think big cities like London and New York and Singapore have that. And so I would put Luxembourg out there. So you get that very international feel. So a, a fun story that I like to tell are, are kind of two, two different stories that 
So my son had a party a couple months back at our house, um, and all the kids were playing, and there was, uh, you know, eight or nine kids over there. And the countries that those children represented were India, China, England, Greece, Italy, Turkey. And in his classroom, there's 12 or 13 different countries represented. And we love that. I think that's so cool. The The conversations that we have with, with our boys about these different cultures and about, you know, how, how different parents are and different relationships are is something that, that we love. I bet. And they're probably learning a lot from their different experiences. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And we have conversations that we just we, we don't necessarily would have if we lived here in Utah or, or somewhere else. We've talked about currency and how a euro isn't exactly worth a dollar and why that is. And and we talk about languages and how the different languages work. Both boys are, are learning French, so that's that's exciting to see them progress in there. And and like I said, we, we talk about culture because the way our our friends' parents interact with, with their children is different than us. So another f- funny story is our Italian friends invite us over for dinner on a Saturday night. And so we said, great, excited, you know, good, uh, fresh Italian food. And so that was earlier in the week. And so it was Saturday. And, and so we text them and said, okay, what time should we come over? Us Americans usually eat dinner, let's say 5 or 6 p.m. And they said, come over around 8.30 and we'll start eating at 9 p.m. So we kind of laughed, you know, like uh, our kids typically go to bed around 8. But all all Italians, like culturally, they, they, they have really late dinners. And so kind of as a joke, we bring our two boys in their pajamas because we knew we were going to be over there until 11 or 12. And, you know, thinking about getting up early in the next day. And so that was a that was a funny experience. Yeah. That's funny that you mentioned that, too, because I noticed even when we were in Luxembourg that there everything seems to close a little bit early. Yep. Like the city goes to yep. sleep. So what's the day-to-day like in your job there in Luxembourg? I would say it's very, it's quite similar to my time in Seattle. Generally, working in Europe, the way I would describe it is is a little bit more complex. You have the EU, European Union, which brings some unification to working in those different countries, but every country has a has its differences. So whether it be different currencies or different languages, logistically, each country does it a little bit differently. The regulations, I would say, are less unified than the U.S. So when we manage five websites where, uh, you know, five different languages and, you know, multiple currencies, it's a little bit harder to scale and to accomplish some of the things that we need to accomplish. So it becomes challenging. You have to be really creative about where you spend your time and you have to ruthlessly prioritize uh, on the most important things. Sounds like you have a little bit more steps along the way. Yes. So how do you approach management and leadership when working in a multicultural team or in an environment? Yeah, this is something uh, I've learned a lot working internationally. So the, the first thing I would say is listen more and talk less, which is hard for me. <laughs> I would say that one of the greatest takeaways from working and living abroad is it has made me more unsure of myself and how I think the world works. And I mean that in a good way. Uh, regardless of who you are, if you live and grow up in, a, in the same location your whole life, you come to believe your surroundings are how the world works or how the world should work. When you get thrown into a different country, a different culture, you see other ways uh, of solving problems. And you say to yourself, 
wow, maybe maybe there is more than one way to solve a problem. Maybe the way we do it isn't the the best way. Uh, or maybe there's other ways. And even better, you say, you know, these people or these cultures, like, they understand something that I don't understand. So I love I love that is I've reevaluated how I think about different cultures and think about the world. As a manager, I've learned that diversity is so important in building a team. If you can build a diverse team, then you can tap into different strengths and have greater outcomes. I've also noticed if you have people that are all the same, whether it be all from a, a certain country or from a certain part of a country, you know, or all male or all female, it often quiets the minority group and the ideas aren't as good. Because not only do the majority think a lot alike and agree with each other, it can hurt the team dynamics. So being attentive to diversity on a team is super important. And I try to make sure that everyone has a chance to speak up and has a platform to share his or her opinions. Has it ever been difficult for you in like trying to form teams and deciding who should be on what team? Yeah, yeah, because the core of what you do is your people. Our vice president said it the other day, you know, he said like our main focus is to build and develop our people. Luxembourg makes it a little bit easier maybe than some locations. So within my vendor management team, we have people from Italy, Germany, France, Turkey, India, America, the UK. So that that geographical diversity is so valuable. And, you know, the question you asked, like, is it difficult? I think it's really difficult. Also, like, from a female perspective, like, I work in the automotive uh, world, and there's these preconceived notions that it's only a male-driven culture. And so we're trying to be the leaders in the automotive world to bring more women into it. So we as a leadership team focus a lot on that and and not only just wait for female applications that come in, but go out and uh, recruit female employees. So yeah, that's been really important for me. And man, it's, it's led to such great success. So when it comes down to it, would you say the diversity really trumps the specific skill needs or is it a balance of both? Yeah, that's that's a hard question to answer. Let me answer it in this way. At Amazon, we don't believe so much in industry knowledge. Like we specifically have on our application, no automotive experience necessary, which I think is completely different than a lot of other companies. We believe if you can, if you're smart and you can meet our leadership principles, our core values and our culture, we can teach you about the automotive industry. But it's very difficult to teach culture. It's, you know, it's difficult to teach diversity. But if you can build a, a strong culture and you can build a diverse team, we can, we can teach you the necessities of the industry. That's an interesting perspective that not many have. Yeah. And I like that. Yeah. Does your approach to vendor management differ between different countries? Um, how and what way? Yes, for sure. As mentioned, different cultures... Uh, approach business differently and to get positive results I have to adjust accordingly. For example, Italian vendors that I work with in my opinion value relationships more than other cultures. In the U.S. when I worked with um, vendors everything was very email based. We didn't necessarily build a relationship. It was just more of a transactional relationship than a personal relationship. So I'll give a story to illustrate what I mean. So as I mentioned, my vendor managers and I, we, we go out and we, we try to bring vendors onto Amazon. 
So we were, we were working to sign a vendor on Amazon. This was a very important vendor. We called them and sent them emails uh, and tried to convince them to join Amazon for years, really. But things were just not moving. We would always get kind of wishy-washy answers and, yeah, we'll join or, uh, yeah, we'll do this. But we just never saw the results. So finally, my, my senior vendor manager and I got on a plane down to Milan, drove uh, a couple hours, um, and went to meet this vendor face-to-face. We shook their hands, we visited their factory, and we sat and we just talked for, geez, a half an hour, 45 minutes about them, about the history of their company, about their products, about them personally. And then after we, I would say, built that trust, after we got to know each other, after they looked in our eyes and uh, trusted us, then we could actually talk about business. And the conversations we had there were so different than the ones we had on our phone. What I learned from that experience and others like that is that each culture has a different style of doing business. And to be successful, you first have to be aware of these differences. So it's taken me a year or two to really understand these differences. And secondly, adjust accordingly. And so we had a lot of success with that vendor after that meeting. And, you know, we've had subsequent meetings where they've come to Luxembourg and and now they know me personally, they know about me, and they know about our business. And, and so it required a higher level of trust than what I'm used to. So like I said, once once I realized that, then, then I've become much more successful in knowing what's important to these vendors. That's very interesting. And that kind of leads to my next question, mm-hmm. is what would you say are necessary skills that you need when working in vendor management with different countries? Yeah, so vendor management, we, what we call vendor management at Amazon, other companies can call, you can call them, we're kind of like a sales team. We're kind of like account management. We do both functions. So the way I would answer that question is first, you have to have good, strong interpersonal skills. Like I said earlier, you have to be able to listen. Close your mouth and listen because what, what's going to come out isn't what maybe you expect because each business has a different strategy and different philosophy and that's especially true at an international level. So being able to listen, to ask questions, being able to build those relationships at a personal level, absolutely necessary. Second is negotiations. So we negotiate every day. You know, we have interests and the vendor has interests. And sometimes those are aligned and sometimes those aren't aligned. So you have to be creative to find solutions that benefit both parties and that where both parties can gain. You have to understand where there is value for them and where you can add value. So sharpening those negotiation skills is is really important. Third is data analysis slash finance. So my core like education is, like I said, in economics and finance. And you can't own a P&L statement. You can't own an income statement if you don't understand how the income statement works. So, you know, things I learned here at BYU and at Notre Dame, just those core fundamentals of, you know, how the income statement interacts with the cash flow statement and the balance sheet. Because I know that, I can then take action that will impact those, those different line items. So being able to both understand the financial aspect and then the, the data analysis comes when you have millions of rows of data and how to tell a story. So at Amazon, as you can imagine, we have so much data, more, more data than you could ever want about what customers are looking at, what customers are clicking on, you know, what's the click-through rate, what's the sell-through rate, how often are we out of stock when someone comes and looks at a product, 
you know, our pricing. And so it's easy for new employees at Amazon and other companies to get totally lost in this data. And, you know, we're in a world of data now with the internet and with cell phones. So be able to know what data is most important. So really sharpening those data analytics skills. And like I said, in Europe at least, you have to be able to deal with ambiguity. You have to deal with uncertainty. For example, you know, you have situations like Brexit, certain situations like we're having in Turkey where the currency devaluates day over day, you know, 25%. You don't necessarily have those experiences in a more stable environment like the U.S., so you have to wake up and be ready for whatever comes at you. So, yeah, dealing with ambiguity because there is more political, economic, and cultural differences. And so sometimes you just have to roll with the punches and and figure out the best solution. Sounds like flexibility is a big key needed for success in that situation. So it seems like a big part of what you do has to do with effective communication with different countries. Have you ever had a miscommunication because your expectations were different from another's or just in general? Yeah, very good question. So speaking about myself, where I've grown is I was too direct. And I would say on the cultural spectrum, Americans are more more direct or one of the most direct cultures. When I first arrived in Europe, I found myself mostly in internal meetings being very direct with people. Not in necessarily a rude way, but just like very direct to the point and maybe miss some of the small talk or miss some of the relationship building. So I remember after about a year, my boss took me aside and said, Scott, I appreciate your hard work. You're doing great things, but you need to be less direct. And that that took me by surprise. And I I guess at first I was a little mad, right? (laughs) It's hard to receive criticism or feedback, but I thought she was wrong. Uh, but in retrospect, she, she was totally right. Um, and what I learned is to be successful in the long run in any culture is you have to make friends. You have to make allies, both internally in, within your company and externally. And what I mean is by that is don't just think about the business problem. Don't think about people as you know someone who's going to help you solve a business problem or, or a transaction, but get people on board, get them on your boat, get them going in the same direction because you're going to need those same individuals at a later point. And when you work for a company, you know, for multiple years, you interact with those same people, whether it be in your department or in the finance department or in the marketing department or in operations, you're going to need those people again. And so you want to make sure you still keep a high standard, you keep a high bar and your work quality is high, but you don't, you're not so driven that in a way that you burn bridges or or hurt long-term relationships. I think that's a good piece of advice for us to all keep in mind. With that, what other kind of advice would you give for someone who's planning on working internationally? I think there's a few different ways. I think it's hard to find a job internationally direct from the U.S. to a foreign country. I found it difficult. I tried that, but it's very hard. What I have seen most people do is get hired within a local company that has operations globally. You do well in your current role, receive high feedback, and let your manager know that you want to work internationally. And then after a year or two or or however long, then you go connect with those local global offices. You build a network there. When hiring internationally, if the hiring manager already knows you fit the company culture and you have a track record and they can communicate with your, you know, your, your current manager, it makes getting hired a lot easier. So that's what I did at Amazon. I worked for two years in Seattle, 
built a really strong relationship with my manager, told her exactly what I want to do next, was work internationally. So when the call came in from my next manager, she was prepared and that we were on the same page in terms of what my skill set was and what I was able to accomplish. Yeah, so really prove yourself and then the doors will open. Yes, yep. So how could a student like me prepare for a future job in international business? The first thing I would say is be curious. I would read about the different challenges that are going on in the world. I subscribe to the Wall Street Journal, which has an international section, so I can stay up to date on all the trends and all the world events, both politically and economically in Europe, in Asia, in America. So that first will give you an understanding of what's out there. And then secondly, I would say just be brave and get out in the world, whether it be a vacation first or a volunteer opportunity, an internship or something else. My biggest message to young people today is the world is a big, beautiful place and has so much to offer the mind and the soul. I love the the different cultures, the food, the people that I've been able to experience over the last few years all provide an element of excitement and joy. So those connections you make both personally and professionally will be some of the most important connections and the most important things in your life. Thank you. We really appreciate you joining us today and all your insights. Absolutely. Great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Stay tuned for our upcoming podcast on this new season with iHub. Share, check out our website, subscribe to the newsletter, and let us know what kind of international work experience you are interested in learning about.